0: BLOB TALK RADIO I used to roam. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and I'm Greg Masters, the creator, producer, principal host for the show. This Week in Accountable Care is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, where we monitor the innovation impulse from idea to business model. Today, we continue our exploration into the quest for a sustainable healthcare economy, via emerging accountable care initiatives. And my special guest is John Lynch, who's the publisher of the blog Our Healthcare Sucks. He, he was a founder and CEO of an imaging company, uh, twice named to Businessweek's best small companies. Uh, John's had several decades of diverse healthcare experience, providing an uncommon perspective of empowerment to help individuals and their families navigate our turbulent and sometimes dangerous healthcare system. His experience ranges from consumer advocacy and hospital management to regional planning and developing innovative service delivery models, including founding and served as chairman, president, and CEO of a company that developed a network of mobile MRI clinics, Medical Diagnostics, Inc., or MDI, that he took public as the only profitable mobile MRI company in the country. MDI was twice ranked among Business Week's top 10 best businesses in America. John's also a former independent consultant for hospital planning and program development projects. He developed an early methodology for projecting patient need for an emerging diagnostic technology recognized by the American Hospital Association. He's also served on the boards of a hospital and consumer advocacy group for the medically uninsured as well as the hospital trustee committee of the state hospital association. John comes to us today with an eclectic background that sounds in some respects fairly similar to the one to my past. So John, welcome to the broadcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Glad you could make it. So let's get down to it. Before we dive into health reform, accountable care and such, let's talk a little bit about you, your path. Uh, take us through the genesis of, uh, of your work in healthcare. How did it start?
1: Well, I started out in uh, a Boston teaching hospital in uh, middle management, uh, managing the emergency room and the outpatient clinics and that sort of thing. And uh, went from there into regional planning uh, as the planning director at the, uh, the Greater Boston Health Planning Council back, uh, back when there were regional planning agencies in the 70s and uh, oversaw the planning activities for, for the greater Boston area and got exposed to the regulatory process in that capacity, uh, oversaw the certificate of need reviews for the various hospitals in the area. And uh, once I left the agency, I ended up uh, as a consultant uh, doing more of that for hospitals and, uh, and physicians. And in the course of that, over several years, developed some expertise in an emerging technology at the time called MRI and uh, helped a half dozen of so hospitals uh, apply for and get approved for CON, Certificate of Need for MRI Clinics. And uh, then saw an opportunity to do more of that on my own as a, a, an entrepreneur basically. And so started a company that pioneered really the introduction of mobile MRI technology into New England. And we grew that into a network of uh, mobile units that eventually some of them became fixed units at the hospitals that. Uh, Justified it, and it was a little different approach because instead of leasing equipment to the hospital, uh, we reversed that and flipped it on its head. and the hospital, uh, we leased space from the hospital. We were tenants there, and ran our own clinics. And that allowed us to control the operation and to work double shifts, basically, and weekends, and increase the productivity, such that we could be the the only profitable uh, company in the country doing that work. So, so that was an interesting experience. And uh, eventually, sold the company, and uh, since Been involved in volunteer activities and uh, blogging and writing uh, writing books about uh, the system, such as it
0: is. So you, that's uh, that's interesting. uh, Eclectic, uh, starting on the health planning side, then moving into the entrepreneurial side. That's great perspective. So um, I I know there's a lot more there, but uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, uh, how you were because you mentioned blogging and uh, uh but what what drew you to uh, i think the your your blog is our healthcare sucks what was, the, what, was what was the what was the impetus there and, and and what's your principal message
1: well i didn't want to be too subtle obviously but uh, I, I had been away from the industry for a while and and uh, i'm sure like you i had been exposed to some of the uh, underbelly of the industry uh, in my own activities, but uh, when, I, when I started to research the current state of affairs, I was, uh, even I was kind of surprised at how much things had deteriorated and, and on two fronts really that were, were most prominent. One was patient safety or patient endangerment, if you will, is probably a more apt term. Um, and the other was uh, medical ethics, or the lack thereof, the extent to which the industry had been corrupted over the years. Such that the uh, such that in the last uh, report from the folks who keep track of uh, fraud settlements with the federal government uh, has uh, all ten of the top ten companies uh, being healthcare companies. So uh, you know I don't think most people equate healthcare with corruption, but um, there you have it. The data suggests that uh, that's a ma- rather major problem for us. So uh, those two things led me to come up with, <laughs> with that title. Uh, our health care sucks because uh, I'm afraid it does.
0: So, so what uh, and are you... Of course, it's with... irony.
1: We're, we're superior in many regards, but in terms of, of uh, we're so deficient in many other areas that it's kind of a you know it's a, it's a conundrum trying to sort the wheat from the chaff in our health care. We excel in so acute this... care, and when it comes to chronic care, of course, we're not so good.
0: So is this also... Um... Uh, a uh, really from a patient safety angle, or are you talking about it in terms of uh, some system inequities, if you will, both access, cost, quality.
1: Well, I think it's all of the above. I mean, obviously, the, to the extent that we're doing over treatment, much of that driven by greed, the desire to enhance the bottom line, whether it's the a hospital or an individual practice. That obviously creates, the, you know, the more interventions, the more likelihood of uh, medical error and harm, so I'm afraid
0: they're they're interlocked okay let let me circle back as i wanted to, uh, wanted to ask you this before talking about um, the blog and health reform. but uh, what was it like taking the public?
1: Oh, that was quite an experience, um, especially at the time we did it, which was in ninety two when uh, the prior attempt at healthcare reform, you might recall, Hillary Care uh, was, uh, was uh, being uh, debated and so it was, a, uh, it was kind of a tough time to take a healthcare company public. In fact, we had to go to Europe to actually uh, close the thing because um, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty at the time. And uh, in fact, I did end up creating uh, in this in Massachusetts, at least, which was where the bulk of our business was, uh, created a moratorium on MRI units <laughs> for a while, which kind of uh, stymied our growth. So it was it was not the best time to go, but uh, we pers- we persisted and got it done.
0: Did you have to go to Europe to close the round, or was it principally funded yeah. by an offshore investment? Uh,
1: no, 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 no. It was it was uh, U.S. Uh, brokers, but we ended up uh, selling about 30% of the offering in Europe.
0: Okay. So w- with feet with in both camps on the planning slash regulatory side as well as the entrepreneurial domain, how has that influenced basically your thinking? Uh, and how you're envisioning solutions for uh, some of the problems you see, both on the patient safety as well as the uh, cost, quality, and access side. How's that informed your view?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm, obviously, I've come from a, both of a nonprofit and for-profit background, so I'm not adverse to profit being made in healthcare if it's done, if it's not done at patients' expense. Uh, the problem, I think, is that that's become the dominant way that profits are generated in healthcare. Is, you know, we obviously overtreat, overdiagnose, and overtreat, and, you know, their estimates vary from 30 percent up to 50 percent, probably what House Coopers did an estimate a few years back saying up to 50 percent of our healthcare was unnecessary, uh, and, of course, a lot of that, I mean, a certain amount of is overtreatment over-treatment. There's also a lot of under-treatment. It's basically uh, a lot of incoherence in our healthcare that needs to be rationalized. Um, but I'm afraid that a lot of it is driven, obviously, by the bottom line. And uh, it's uh, obviously, I guess, difficult to, uh, to generate a bottom line without it. I mean, there are ways to do it. My own experience, I think, was an aberration, unfortunately, but uh, we were only profitable because we were more productive than the norm, that we did work double shifts and weekends and so forth. And if we could get, you know, there are other ways to generate profits besides off the backs of patients but you do have to be creative and aggressive to do so.
0: So uh, as we move from a, a volume driven payment system to a, a fee for value as that is ultimately expressed how, how do, do you think you'd operate how would that business model operate in a in a fee for value uh, type of uh, environment can it can it adapt? You mean the model I had with my old business? Yeah, it was Our- it was mostly in a an efficiency play based on scheduling and, uh, and uptime. Uh, yeah, and shared, and shared ru-
1: technology. And
0: shared, shared technology.
1: technology. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So, but it was uh, it was a production. It was fee for service. So, do you think can that make? For instance, as you look at accountable care ACOs, population health management under the rubric of health reform, can could would that model work today? And if so, uh, if not, uh, how how could it work?
1: Well, I think it would. Um, obviously, one of our failings is that we're not as productive as we could be. Uh, you know, that's certainly one of the. You know, it's ironic to me that hospitals, which operate 24/7, 365 a year, um, still manage, when it comes down to some of the more expensive things they do, to operate on a nine-to-five or eight-to-four, if you will, basis, uh, and not be terribly productive. So, I, I do think there's opportunity to enhance value with greater productivity. But it would require, and you know, the irony I think uh, is that um, the the objections to doing so. There's really no real reason why a hospital radiology department can't operate two shifts a day and on weekends. Uh, Technicians are certainly willing to operate that, you know, on those hours. Patients actually prefer it because they don't have to uh, make excuses to get out of work or perhaps disclose things about their conditions they'd rather not to their employers. Um, So it was a win-win in that regard. And even the radiologists didn't have to be there. They could read them the next morning. So um, it's certainly something that can be done, but it's not the way they're conditioned to think. So it requires breaking free of the mold of how they've uh, operated over the years. And, you know, one of the problems I have with ACOs going forward, accountable care organizations, is they're going to be driven by hospitals, largely. I know they're about half and half right now, physician-driven and hospital-driven. But to the extent they're hospital-driven, they're building on... The most expensive
0: part of the system, and not really the most efficient part of the system. How big of a leap would it be, though, in that model? And, and I and I I don't say only for imaging, but let's talk about any supportive ancillary diagnostic service that that's operating uh, to 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 move into essentially a budget-driven, if not risk-bearing relationship with the delivery system. What what what? what 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 do you uh, because you know we're, we're really ultimately talking about a lot of initiative that's that's followed the implement or the the um, authorization of the affordable care act, aka Obamacare, uh, but and that's progressively lots of moving parts in the act, but there's pieces all over the place that are basically moving it away from a fee for service to a quote fee for value paradigm, which manifests itself different ways in different niches. but Let's let's just say that model can it can it go to a, a a risk bearing or some kind of budget based operation and still thrive today? And, and if not, what would need to change? Not just for imaging, but any kind of ancillary diagnostic service in a, in a future value context.
1: Well, I. Uh... I think it probably could, You'd have, you know, probably on a vendor basis, uh, you know, the, organi- the entity bearing the financial risk would uh, obviously be looking for value from its suppliers, and uh, if suppliers can demonstrate they can provide that ancillary service at a lower cost to them, then they should be attracted to it. Um, yeah. But, again, it's sort of breaking the mold of how they've uh, traditionally thought about these things. Um, you know, my interest these days is less in that area and more in the interest in the area of the patients, uh, the patients' role in all of this, and uh, how, you know, we, we talk about patient-centered care. But uh, I don't really see a lot of progress in that area, and that's something I've been more concerned with uh, over the last few years.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about the Affordable Care Act, and and what are some of the Indicia of movement towards uh, moving towards patient-centered care. Give it. Give us a. Give us a report card on that from your point of view.
1: Well, uh, let's see. (laughs) I'm afraid we'd be flunking uh, in terms of um, uh, you know uh, patient uh, engagement and really elevating patients more to a partnership role in their own care, which is really what's needed. Uh, I think if patients had a better understanding. You know, much of what we do in healthcare, at least in in terms of treatment decisions, is fear-based, fear-driven. Patients are, you know, make a lot of uh, ill-informed decisions based upon fear of disease and a lack of fear of treatment. They don't have a sufficient respect, I I don't believe, uh, for the risks that come with treatment. And the data would bear that out, as I'm sure you know, we have various estimates of uh, avoidable deaths every year, up to 440,000 a year, which is, staggering number, of course, uh, far more than any disease we have, uh, and yet I don 't think the public has that in their consciousness, and one of the things I'd like to see is that uh, you know, the, the informed consent process actually get reengineered to be really truly informed consent, so that patients, when they make these decisions, it's not just a legalistic process you know before they go into the OR where they sign on the dotted line, when they're not going to obviously change their mind at that point but rather uh, one where they were presented with some sort of a graphical representation of the risks of treatment and the benefits of treatment and the alternatives to treatment uh, so that they could really make an informed uh, decision, which I don't think happens very often today.
0: So let me ask you about something perhaps unique, uh, if not a little bit ahead of the curve of what's now followed since the ACA, which is the... Uh, Bundled Care for Healthcare Improvement Initiative, I believe um, in Massachusetts you've had some experience with the alternative quality contract that presumably is bundling and tying to quality indices. Has any of that made progress towards maybe a a more patient-centered experience, or is this primarily contract sitting in a drawer somewhere?
1: Well, I don't have any first-hand experience with that, so I, I can't really speak to it, but um, I, I don't think, uh, I'm in an ACO here in Massachusetts. There are a lot of them here, just as there are in your neck of the woods. And uh, I you know, I, I was chuckling at one of the reports about how you, know, you can expect more convenient care and better coordinated care. And I have to confess, as a patient, I haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, if anything, I slept now more for the various procedures than I ever had to in the past. And most of the coordination I end up doing. So uh, the theory is great, but uh, achieving it, uh, and, and then on the cost front, of course, which is one of the prime drivers here, as you know, uh, the jury is still very much out on that front in terms of accountable care. It should work. It should prevent. It should present savings. But uh, so far, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, I think so one of did, the
0: I, did I challenge this? Is... go ahead? Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say one of the challenges, one of the problems is the culture in the medical community, the sort of overreaction to the malpractice risk, and this is, this is one of the areas where Obamacare uh, uh, failed, I believe, in that it didn't really address malpractice, um, and it, yet it's a, a prime driver, obviously, of our overtreatment, uh, and in, in my book, actually, I, I sort of uh, reference a study that was done showing that physicians responding to a survey admitted to one in eight of their hospitalizations being unnecessary and being done just to protect themselves from perceived malpractice risk, uh, whereas the actual malpractice risk was more like one eighth of 1%. So, you know, there's a kind of huge overreaction there to the, uh, uh, the actual malpractice risk. And that kind of phenomenon isn't really addressed by Obamacare, and I'm not sure to what extent accountable care is gonna change that It is going to change it because now the ACO itself or the hospital that's employing the doctor is going to be a middleman and they're going to bear some of that liability. But getting physicians to normalize their behavior so they're not overreacting to such a degree, I think, is going to be a huge cultural challenge.
0: Yeah, that's been um, a rather well-used talking point for quite some time, particularly on the... uh, uh, on the right, so to speak, about the medical liability issue, you know, often overstated, uh, I think, as you correctly point out. Um, did, did I hear you... Course, there's, uh, there's
1: solutions. If you look at the state of Texas <laughs> and other states that have supposedly reformed malpractice by simply capping damages, that yeah, has done nothing it. to... Uh, what's that?
0: Yeah, yeah, they just cap, yeah, they what, capped, it it, 250?
1: Yes, but it hasn't changed anything. Healthcare costs continue to skyrocket in Texas and other states that have done this because, uh, well, it's been lucrative to keep doing that, obviously, under fee-for-service. Um, so, you know, capping damages is not really malpractice reform. Uh, uh, to me, you would, you would cap damages, you would tie in uh, evidence-based practices, obviously, as safe harbors, and you would bring the patient more into the mix through uh, truly informed consent, which inherently, increases their role in the decision making process and reduces the physician's liability by definition.
0: So John, do you spend most of your time focused in and around uh, Massachusetts or the Northeast corridor or do you have uh, a wider swath of, uh, of, of involvement with your work?
1: Well no, I'm, I'm actually looking more at the national data and uh, I, I think as you observed in a prior uh, podcast, uh, looking at the distribution of accountable care organizations nationally, um, some of the places that are in most need of some of these improvements are the ones that are most reluctant to adopt them. Um, so, you, you know, we see uh, you know the uh, disparities that are uh, greatest in some of the red states, and uh, those are the states that, if you look at both outcomes and costs, uh, are in greatest need of some of these reforms.
0: So so let's talk about how perform. Did I did I correctly hear that you're you are now a uh, paid up participant in an exchange listed program in 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 the commonwealth? Uh yes Okay, good. I thought I heard that. So, so you're saying you're doing, if anything, you're doing more schlepping than than before. Is that because of these <laughs> high the value stuff. narrowed networks? <laughs> That's a technical term, which I completely get. Um, is that is that uh, uh, you know? It's interesting. I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but um, I mean, I, I've been in many you know provider network. Uh, development and contracting and management context over the last couple decades, and it, 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 it's interesting to think you can essentially stand up a an exchange, which at it, it some level operates as a sort of old, if not Uber, health plan trying to integrate provider networks, provider contracts, pricing, and all that stuff. To stand it up in such a short order of time and expect it to work is a bit it's a, it's a byproduct. It's a judgment of the naive mind who doesn't understand the complex relationships between payer pro- providers and, and, and patients.
1: Yeah, and the distrust, of course, that's been there over the years, it isn't going to go away overnight.
0: Right, right. I mean, the a, distrust is enormous. There's a lot of schizophrenia in, in
1: all of this. There's a lot of schizophrenia in, in all of this. You know, you have a continuing fee for service drag. Uh, you know, that's obviously trying to coexist now with uh, with this risk sharing model. Um, you've got hospitals being a big uh, driver in this, and yet they're the biggest cost drivers as well. Uh, you need them to kind of bear a lot of the cost to afford uh, you know, electronic records and so forth, but uh, yet that consolidation that that's promoting, uh, and this is another common uh, lament as well, of course increases their leverage in the marketplace so that they can... Uh, demand higher prices from insurers, so there are a lot of these cross-currents going on that, uh, in addition to the animosities and various other things that make – there will be no quick solutions here, that's for sure.
0: And, and that's, an educated, uh, that's, a, that's an educated judgment, so uh, let's talk about health reform and and I know you've used Obamacare, and I I resist that. Uh, I, I always refer to it as the Affordable Care Act. But let's talk about health reform. What's working, what's not, and what would you like to see different from what's out there at the moment?
1: Well, yeah, I've used it because he's embraced the term himself, so I think it has no sense resisting uh, that on that front. Uh, it's only nomenclature after all. Um, the uh, Well, I think, unfortunately, the, the two key Problems identified at the outset uh, are largely unaddressed, that being patient safety. Now, there, there will be some improvements as accountable care measures uh, are implemented. Uh, there'll be some improvement in patient safety to the extent that there's uh, more coordination and maybe less over-treatment that should result in fewer errors and fewer infections and so forth. So there may be some improvement on that front indirectly. Um, uh, on the ethics front, which was the other um, problem I identified at the outset, um, you know, it does, the, the law actually does uh, prevent, for, uh, you know about self-referral I'm sure, where physicians are able to invest in well, MRI clinics and radiation therapy centers and all kinds of other facilities and services to which they refer their own patients. They call that self-referral. Well, the future, uh, you know, that's been precluded going forward uh, under Obamacare, but uh, it has grandfathered in those that already existed, so uh, the damage has already been done there, and now I'm afraid it's, that's baked into the cake, so we're going to have to live with that, and uh, that's, that's, a, that's a major driver of overutilization, obviously, and patient harm. Um, so um, I don't think it goes far enough. Now, I don't think it goes far enough on either front. Now, obviously, the argument against all of that is that uh, well, you only do what you can do in politics, and uh, we saw how the battle that was uh, that was gone through as it is. Although I would argue that they might as well have stuck with their original uh, uh, public option, and they wouldn't have incurred any more wrath than they did anyway, and we might be in a, a somewhat better position today.
0: So true. I
1: um, I think there was probably, you know, I I think most people who favor a single payer system, and I'm one of them, uh, would uh, argue that uh, it doesn't go far enough, fast enough. Um, But a single payer system isn't going to happen politically, so uh, we have to deal with these more incremental approaches and live with the complications that they produce.
0: Speaking of single payer. Uh, do you think there's any residual or collateral fallout from the VA scandal, which really is a single-payer, completely socialized system, single-payer here in the U.S.? uh, Do you think that that will uh, um, further dampen any of the enthusiasm towards moving from uh, pluralism, the pluralistic system we have, to an actual single-payer?
1: Well, I wish. Uh, I actually just did a post about that, um, which was that the VHA flaws are no worse than private health care. Uh, in fact, they're far less. Uh, as someone else observed, you know, the issue with the VHA is access to care, not the care itself. And uh, I think there have been enough studies done over the years showing that uh, on virtually every measure, the VHA outperforms our private health care, from, pri- from patient satisfaction to uh, out- treatment outcomes. You know, they have better treatment outcomes for open-heart surgery, for instance, with far sicker and older patients, patients who are virtually, literally twice as sick, looking at their rates of diabetes and prior heart attacks and so forth, and yet had half the rates of complications, half the mortality rate. So there is plenty of good data to support the VHA as a sound treatment model, and it is, you're right, absolutely socialized medicine, <laughs> far more than Obama, Obamacare doesn't even come near being socialized, it's, as you know. Uh, uh, build, you know, it, it builds on private health insurance and perpetuates private practice of medicine so it, it fails on both counts um, but the socialized medicine that we do have in this country we don't have to look to the UK or to Europe or to Canada or anywhere else is right here in the VHA, socialized medicine you know one of the ironies is you know people talk about freedom and that's of course the big paradigm here the most free economies in the world uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, places like that have the most government-controlled health care and the most efficient health care. So if, if conservatives were being true to their principles, they would look to those countries for what they're doing with their health care. They're not sacrificing their freedoms in doing so, and they have much more government control over their health care than we do, pay a lot less for it, and have truly socialized systems. But they're it to their health care.
0: Well, John, I knew this would happen. We're at the end of our time together, and uh, I know we've only scratched the surface. My apologies for maybe bouncing around a little bit. I know we didn't get to some things I wanted to to chat with you about, but uh, uh, thank you so much for appearing on the broadcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great fun. There
0: you have it. Yeah, we'll do this again. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, We've been chatting with John Lynch. He's the publisher of the blog, Our Healthcare Sucks. Check it out on uh, at, at the .dot com extension. Greg Masters saying thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye now.